Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to another episode here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 196. So I spent a good amount of time leading up to the Walker Cup with the Seminole Sessions. I'm going to try and pack in as many episodes as possible as we lead into the National Championship at Greyhawk. But first, where do I start with the Walker Cup? First and foremost, I just have to say thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast. There were so many people that saw me on the grounds at Seminole wearing a back-of-the-range trucker hat and lugging around a camera that stopped me and said, Hey, are, are you Ben from Back of the Range? You have no idea what that means to me. Number of downloads, followers, subscribers, podcast rankings on some chart that probably changes every day. All those statistics just reside on a sheet of paper or on a website or on a spreadsheet somewhere. It does not even come close to someone just stopping and saying, hey man, keep doing what you're doing. I love the podcast. What you're doing is awesome. Those comments really do mean so much. So thank you to all of the people at Seminole that I met. I really do appreciate the support. I will keep doing this podcast. As I said, as long as people are listening, I will keep doing the back of the range. Because of all your support and the guests that have stopped by the back of the range over the last two years, I found myself in the media center with writers from Golf Channel, Golf Week, Golf Magazine, Golf Digest, Global Golf Post, and, and many others. Yes, I was right there with them. And while my platform may be a tad smaller, we're, we're getting there. We all have the same thing in common, a passion for amateur golf. So if you like the content you get here at the back of the range, make sure you go check out Brentley Romine's work at Golf Channel, Julie Williams at Golf Week, Ryan Harrington at Golf Digest, Zephyr Melton at Golf Magazine, and of course, Jim Nugent at Global Golf Post. I will put the links to all of these extraordinary people's work in the show notes of this episode. Go bookmark their links or follow them on social media. It's a pleasure working with them the entire week. Hope to see them down the road very soon. Also, I need to thank the USGA and Seminole Golf Club for allowing me to not only cover the Walker Cup for the whole week, but for allowing me to share it with my mom on Mother's Day. Yes, the highlight of my week and maybe the history of the podcast, bringing my mother out to Seminole for the Walker Cup on Sunday. All day long, I got to introduce my mother to friends and colleagues and previous guests on the podcast. Do you have any idea how much fun it is to say, Mom, this is Nathan Smith, or Mom, meet Jim Holtgrieve, or Mom, this is Vinny Giles? Uh, quite an experience. If you were following on Instagram, you saw that my mom got a picture with the Walker Cup. That was pretty incredible. So, Again, thanks to the USGA, specifically Jeff and Joey in the Media Center, really making the week successful and memorable. Um, yeah, can't say enough uh, great things about uh, my week. So my guest on this episode is Serge Hogue. Yes, he has made his return to the back of the range. Serge was my guest on episode 104. Instantly, this episode became a favorite and one of the more popular episodes in the history of this podcast. 
You really want to make sure you have listened to that episode because it will give you a bit of a glimpse into Serge's personality and experiences as a professional caddy. Yes, Serge loops at Pine Valley in the summer and Seminole in the winter. I know, despite listening to me say that sentence out loud, you are really going to like Serge if you don't know him already. He was one of the handful of Seminole caddies that were selected to grab a bag of a Walker Cupper at Seminole. Serge was assigned to the King of Kinsale, John Murphy, from the Great Britain and Ireland team. Yes, Serge caddied for one of the guys I highlighted during the Seminole sessions. I don't know how that worked out, but it did. And it didn't take them long to get on the same page and form a very strong bond. So we talked about the course. We talked about the caliber of the players. We covered everything. So let's get this episode started with the legend himself, Serge Hogue. Thanks for returning to the back of the range. How are you? Thank you, man. I, um, I'm a little weird about you saying legend, but, uh, we can just keep going with that. All right. Well, you're, you gotta get, you gotta get, <laughs> you gotta get used to it, man. I mean, you are. No, I wouldn't. Okay. You know, if, all right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So, all right. So, uh, there, there are, there have been many episodes here at the back of the range that have received a lot of attention. Um, your episode is, uh, is one of them, one of the most downloaded, most listened to episodes in the history of this podcast. And as a Seminole caddy, as someone that was on the bag during the recent Walker cup, I could not think of a better person to really give an inside the ropes, inside the team room recap of what transpired at the Walker cup. So, um, for people that haven't listened to that episode, gosh, Serge, I don't even remember the number of your episode. Do you remember the number? What's the number, Serge? You know it. Oh, uh, really? It was 104. Attaboy. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No. Listen, it's my only it's my only podcast ever, so if I can't remember what number that was, and God help me. Well, there you, you know? go. I mean, um, but no, that was that was a great one. We talked a lot about it. Was oh, that was so good. We talked about your your time caddying at Pine Valley, time caddying at Seminole, and uh, it was just incredible. And now fast forward, it was a lot of fun. I know. And now fast forward, basically, uh, we're we're coming up on 200 episodes, but now we're at a point where, you know, we're not talking about necessarily um, your day to day job of caddying for members at both of these uh, these incredible clubs. Um, we're talking about the Walker Cup, so. As I said, you've caddied at Pine Valley, you've caddied at Seminole. Um, is this the biggest event that you ever caddied in? No doubt whatsoever it is. Okay. Um, the uh, the build-up to it a couple years before even, the first thing on my mind was, oh, my God, what if I get to caddy in that? You know, so the, the anticipation and um, being sure that I came to work one time every day for the last three years, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to be sure that, that I was even, you know, even, you know, looked at as far as, you know, one of the, one of the caddies that was going to be chosen. Um, but, uh, just the idea that I was, is, is a, is a huge honor. And, um, our caddy master, Rick Carlson, um, chose 20 of us. And he also chose four other caddies for the alternates. And, sure. um, we have a, a really incredible caddy art of about 60 guys. And to be chosen as one of those, you know, top 24, is um is a huge huge honor and um but you know no matter what team I got the you know got the caddy for U.S. team you know GBI team it was uh it was just a really really fun event. 
You ended up being on the bag for uh, for the Irishman, John Murphy, for the GB and I yes. team. Yes, we yes. Are, we will talk about Mr. Murphy in in a bit. He's but, awesome. But I wanted to. You mentioned you know, you were selected, and look, every caddy is fantastic at Seminole, but as no you, doubt, as you just said, you you made no the, doubt. you made the cut. You're one of the top twenty four selected. And you mentioned Rick Carlson. Uh, there's other, obviously, people, uh, you know, making these decisions. And I'm just curious, do you have any insight on how they positioned the caddies on a U.S. team versus a GB&I team? Were there caddies maybe ranked where maybe Rick took the entire 24 and say, maybe I make this, I need to make this level so that there is equal caddy experience on both teams. That's just my guess, but do you know how it was done? No, I have no idea. Um, and first of all, there is no rank at Seminole as far as the caddies are concerned. Gotcha. Um, there's, there's, there's years of experience that, you know, that certain caddies have versus, you know, playing and caddying, um, Rick or nobody else ranks each other because we're all in the same pot together, which is kind of a nice feeling. Gotcha. Um, there might've been some, some personalities of certain caddies that may have fit, you know, one team or another Sure. that they, you know, they may have walked themselves towards, but honestly, I've got no idea. And, um, I'm glad that I don't. Good, good point. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I was just, no, cur- you know, I, was I mean, just, yeah. the thing is I wouldn't want to be one of the people that shows, you know, actually, you know what? It didn't matter because if you took those those twenty four guys and you close your eyes and you put all of them in a big pot and you like you know like a so like a, a uh, one of those things like a local bingo thing and just kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. you know sort it around, um, you would have gotten the exact same effort and quality of information on either side, no matter what caddy you had. Okay, and that's that's my confidence in how strong our yard is. You know. So you get selected and, um, you know, it's really, it's kind of funny. You know, I have, I had Stuart Hagestad as part of the Seminole sessions that were a series of episodes leading up to the walk. <laughs> and you, I, you already know. Where I, I'm caddied, going I caddied, I caddied for him. I'm sorry. I know. No, you already know where this is going. So I, I interviewed, no, please, please. I, I had Stu and I'm talking to him and I'm like, Hey man, you know, little birdie told me that you got you got surge on the bag and he talked about you and then literally like a day or two later i find out yeah surge isn't on on <laughs> stew's like yes yeah, surge isn't on my bag i'm like oh, oh okay i'll find out what happened with that eventually and then and then you get john murphy who is also part of the seminal sessions i was like oh my gosh this is crazy so um how did the whole assignment process happen I have no idea how the assignment process happened, but what happened was I caddied for Stewart probably two days in a row during the practice sessions about, you know, a month and a half beforehand. Right. And, you know, we got along really well. We have a nice fun relationship because of Scott Harvey and the Coleman. And, you know, he's a great competitor. Stuart, you know, Stewart is. Yeah. And, um, we've, we almost kind of said to each other, Hey, you know, this would be a good time for us to actually get together because I've never been caddying for him just against him. So it was a great time for it. And, uh, you know, we thought it was going to happen and neither one of us really were in the position to be saying, Hey, I think I should be caddying for this guy or, you know, Hey, I think this guy should be caddying for me. You know, both of us were kind of in the same boat as far as, Hey, listen, whatever these guys want to do, as far as where we end up, um, neither one of us are going to, you know, say anything about it because we're both just lucky to, well, sorry. I'm like, 
I'm lucky to be here. He's played his ass off to get there. Right. But still, <laughs> so, but still everyone no, I mean, inside the road. I mean, shit, I had a camera on my back. I'm lucky to yes, be there. Oh, Any, sorry, yes, anyone I'm, in the ropes is lucky to be there. Yes. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a chance to have worked my way into a position to be there. So yes, right. I guess that's true. But, um, no, Stuart and I really didn't want to, um, jump too far ahead of ourselves as far as what, you know, the, the combination should be. Um, if, if, you know, Captain Crosby saw that we were a good fit or if somebody else did or didn't, you know, um, it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of let it fall where it does and still enjoy yourself. You know? Awesome. So you get, you get ultimately assigned to John Murphy, um, university of Louisville, senior at a Kinsale, Ireland. Right. And I'm guessing that you two hit it off probably in a nanosecond. Well, we did. The reason why we did was because of this. He says to me, how did you end up on my bag? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, first of all, you're, you're a Louisville Cardinal, correct? And he goes, yes. I said, well, I'm a Calvert Hall Cardinal. That's where I went to high school. That's my high school mascot. I said, my girlfriend's daughter goes to Catholic University in D.C. Their mascot is a Cardinal. Okay. So, it was and then I there. said, "Whoa, whoa! This is this is not even the tip of the iceberg, bro." All right? I said to him, "You've been there for like three or four years, have you?" He goes, "Yes." I said, "So you're a Ravens fan?" He goes, "Yes." I say, uh, "Well, I'm from Baltimore, and Lamar Jackson's my man." And he goes, "Oh my God!" He goes, "I have my jersey with me." Oh my God! <laughs> so, so this is on Sunday. And on Monday morning, I brought a nice, big, fat, black foam Ravens koozie for him to put his water bottles inside of for the rest of the week. Oh, my and God. And he looked at it, and he was like, are you serious? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it's on. So, you know, we, <laughs> we hit it, it off really well. That was it. So Exactly. Uh, I mean, Murphy is a guy that obviously he's used to Lynx golf when he's at home. You know, he basically lives 30 minutes from old head. And obviously you're looking at a lot of these GB&I guys that have, uh, you know, have this experience of playing a ground game, but then they come over to college and here in the States and a lot of these guys launch it, hit it high. Um, how, how much work did you two put in during these practice rounds to really get across to him how to play this golf course? I mean, it's gotta be just a really short span of time to communicate all of your knowledge to a college kid. I mean, he's a great guy. I love spending time with him. He's a great interview. He's a, just a really good dude. But no matter how good you are, he's one of the top 10 GB&I amateurs in the world, but still, this is seminal. And how do you communicate your knowledge without overwhelming the kid? Well, first of all, I've got to find out what kind of a player that he is. Right. Okay. Yeah. So whether, walk, walk, whether, me through, walk me through what you're looking at. Actually, that's a better question. Walk me through. Okay. I got his, this. Yeah. How do you do that? Okay, some some players I've I've caddied for some some guys that are at, you know at his level that are somewhat robotic. They hit the same shot and they deal with the wind. Uh, you're talking about um, me again, aren't you? But, is that what you're doing? But, talking about, oh, that's not true. <laughs> Listen, sorry. I can't I can't help yourself conscious about your own game. Okay, okay. all right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry <laughs> to cut sorry you off. That, okay? that's my fault. That's... But but what I'm what I'm saying is is certain players have a level of, of adaptability that it's either there or it's not. And some guys can can hold a shot off with comfortability 
and chip something and you don't have to ask them to to cure cancer you know they're 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 comfortable doing it and mercy has the ability to you know switch gears if he needs to depending on which side the wind is coming from it's like if the breeze is coming off his right side he needs to hold something off with his driver he can't just let it go because it turns too much you know but but you have to remind him of that because you know he gets up there and he he, he just wants to let it go so one of our one of our thoughts was let's keep track of every single club you hit what the yardage was, what, what the wind was and, um, you know, what club, you know, whether it was a big six or a chip six. So when we find these same yardages again, the next couple of days, we're going to have some good info to go off of as far as history. But the weird part about that whole process was the wind kept changing every day. So if you made notes on Tuesday and Wednesday, by the time you got to Friday, the wind was different. So you had a bunch of different information. Um, so it was hard to use it per se. And we, we both kind of worked off of our own knowledge of what his comfortability was. Like if there was a whole lot of room short, but there was breeze at us, we would always chip something up there and skip it up there and never try to hit something firm because it would have too much juice. Got it. You know? So, um, a lot of it had to do with our knowledge of how much spin was going to be put on the ball. And what direction the spin was coming from. How much work did you put in after John Murphy left the golf course? Was this the typical, well, my day's done, his clubs are clean, here we go? Or did <laughs> was, or was this a basically a twenty-four hour job for you where like, okay, he's done, I need to go through these notes and I need to dissect this? Like what was your what was your time away from John like? If you saw my my pin sheets, um, you would think like a mad scientist is working over them <laughs> by the end of the day. Okay. I mean, no, it wasn't that crazy, but basically you just transpire, you know, or you know, put all the stuff that you had on the pin sheet onto the yardage book for the next day. So when you're looking at the yardage book, you don't have to go back and forth and see what you did in the days before. Gotcha. It's right there at your disposal. So it was more or less just just re um re-entering the information onto a different place but uh i definitely knew after a while like when number 12 we ran into the same shot three different times in four days and um by the time we got to the third one we kind of gilded each other he grabbed the nine iron and he hit it you know it was it was somewhat uh robotic but that's what you want after being there for a long enough time to have less thought and more just reaction you know John Murphy is one of the very few guys on the GB&I team that played all four sessions. And he is in the second group off on Saturday morning. He's paired with Mark Power, another Irish guy. And they go up against Quade Cummins from Oklahoma and uh, and Austin Eckroat from Oklahoma State. Uh, to- wow, what a match, dude. Yes. I mean, this is... This these are just two big Oklahoma boys, <laughs> and uh, and you guys are victorious. You Austin's guys... not that big. Austin's not that big. Well, I I know He's that kind of tiny. He but well, yeah, but, but 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 two, as far as like you know, as far as skill you know, level and reputation, playability stature. Yeah. Yes, no and, doubt, no doubt. And two of the older. I mean, there's a lot of experience on the U.S. team, but these are two of the older guys that really have been around for quite some time. 
Um, this is a tall task. You guys end up winning the match one up. Um, first, oh, first, talk to me about the first tee. How do you, how do you calm down your player when, with all of your experience, you're you're over your skis too. I mean, this isn't like you're some veteran masters caddy and you got some amateur coming in where you've been there, done that. This is your first go around too in a Walker Cup. What is the first tee like? I'm not nervous at all on the first tee, by the way. Okay. Not one bit. I'm nervous for my player. Well, of course. But, but I'm not the one swinging. My nerves, my nerves start on um, two fairway. Okay. Or no, on my nerves start on the first green when he's got his first birdie putt. Right. And you know the the um, I'm excited for the whole scene as a caddy as a non-participant. I don't have to swing a club. I'm not the guy that has to really make a big move besides helping my player make a good decision. You know, his first one. So, you know, I'm really enjoying the moment at that time. You know, um, as far as John and my level of concern for him, he's, he's been doing this stuff for a while. Honestly, he understands how important the Walker cup is. But once you get to the first tee box, man, it's it's like a tournament. You just you get up there and you just look at that ball and you let it go. And you try to drown out the fact that it means that much because it's only one swing during the grand scheme of things. Yes, it is the first set of the Walker Cup and you are nervous as could be, but you have to somehow almost lie to yourself. Right. <laughs> and be like, okay, man, it's just a golf swing. Don't get too wrapped up in it. Right. You know? Gotcha. You guys, but that's uh, never easy. Yeah, no, of course. That's I don't. You can lie to yourself and try and trick yourself as much as you want to, but you know when they say your <laughs> name and they say your country. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, yeah, when they say your country, man, it really starts to get you. Yeah, you're. Uh, you guys are three down after twelve. You then win four of the next six holes, including the final uh actually i'm sorry you yeah you win you win basically four of the next six holes um take the lead basically your very first lead of the match was on 17 it was looking pretty dark there uh for the front nine and you know creeping into the back nine how do you keep things light what things were said um you know how do you basically say hey we, we have a shot here we didn't have to keep things light okay um, actually the the <laughs> the American team um, kept things light for us because when we were three down on 12, Quaid Cummings went for the home run bunker shot again, like he did earlier in the match. And he came up short again. He did it once on 13 and he did it again on 17. So the first time was on 13 and John was the, guy that hit the tee ball on 13 and we hit a, a six iron all the way up the left side and gave Mark power a nice long 25, 30 footer, but we weren't going to go anywhere near that right side. We couldn't believe the U S guys hit the ball right on 13. Gotcha. And then, and then Quade Cummings went for the home run. He missed it. And then we two put now we're two down. Um, then Cummings hit an incredible bunker shot on 14 and it was still too much. I mean, he was in the back left bunker. The ball probably landed about three feet on the green. No doubt, dude. I'm not kidding. And the ball had enough momentum to get all the way down the green and get in the far, well, which 
ends up being the front right bunker. Right. I mean, it was, he was doing his best to keep the ball on the green. There's no doubt about that, but the greens were just way too fast. And, you know, once you go from, from three down to one down within two holes, your grip, um, the, the wave of momentum, especially in a alternate shot moment, you know, uh, format is, is huge. And, uh, you know, we, I'll say this, the GB and I team, the entire team, if you added up all of their world rankings was a lot higher than the U S team, no doubt. Yes. Okay. But not for one second, one second, did those guys not think they had a chance or were, were going to beat the guys in the U.S. side? They didn't give a crap who they were playing, what their number was. They knew how good they were, and they couldn't wait to get their hands on these guys. You know what I mean? I mean, to be two points down after three match, you know, three days of matches, um, I'm sure Vegas was pretty worried. <laughs> I know they were up heading into the, uh, to the Sunday singles. What, um, yeah, I, I was, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I was in the, in the media center and I had people asking me, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I just like, you know, I, I don't know. I was just like, I was so impressed by GB and I, they were not going away. Dude, they, they were they, not going they, away. They, um, listen, a little more than half of the team, maybe at least half of the team plays college golf over here already. So they right. know who these guys are. They're not worried about it. You know, they're not like intimidated. They can care less, man. You know, they're out for their, their country and, um, that's it. You know, we have a, <laughs> we have a, a caddy named Wayne DeHaas who was from South Africa and he was on the GB and I team as far as a caddy team. And, uh, he was the most spirited guy trying to pump all the guys up. Like whenever they walked in, he's like, let's go boys. Come on, let's go. And he had all these like, uh, we are the champions from Queen playing while they were walking in, you know, <laughs> I mean, dude, I'll send you the video. It was, it was phenomenal. Now, but, you, uh, okay, yeah, okay. the spirit of the whole team, the spirit of the whole GB and I team was, 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 um, really a blessing to be around. That's for sure. Now, one of the, uh, one of the narratives of this Walker cup, which I mean, I think anyone watching it, anyone that followed it on, on TV, on social media, it is the, the whole thing or not the whole thing, but, but one of the narratives was the, uh, stomach bug that affected basically every player, um, on the team. And you and I haven't spoken yet uh, uh, up until now, really kind of debriefing and kind of getting some inside the ropes information about this thing. When did this become apparent to you? When did you hear about this? And, uh, you know, how, how did you see it really affect these guys? I mean, I was around them, um, not not close enough to catch that damn thing, thank God. But, I mean, I was around them, and I, I kind of saw that they were all just a little lethargic. Some were had it worse than others. Um, but what did you see within the room, and how were these guys trying to just basically get up to go play in the biggest, you know, amateur event of their careers? I saw very, very little of it. Um, we were at Seminole the entire time as caddies waiting for those guys to arrive. So no one that was really sick or ill showed up there. So I didn't see anybody that was on the ill side. All I know is that John Murphy um, got ill Tuesday evening and him and Angus Flanagan got ill on the GDI side and 
I think a few other guys Tuesday evening also did. But anyway, John was not playing his practice round or doing anything really golf related besides doing some putting on Wednesday. So I pretty much had the day off as far as caddying. Um, but there were a couple other players that got sick Wednesday night, three players on the GBI side and maybe three on the American side Wednesday night. Um, but the thing is, I never really heard nor know anything about where it came from, whether it was food poisoning or whether it was a virus. I mean, the, um, the, the, the origin of it, as far as what I know, is, is unknown. There's no telling what it could have been. So uh, it's not for me to say. Oh no, because, I, I was just kind of you know. curious, like what, you, like <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't asking you to to, yeah. to do that. Yeah, I was yeah. just curious, but, like um, you know, how how did they deal with it? And because I mean, obviously you were, I don't know if you were inside the team room, but you had to be pretty damn close. Well, it's funny you should say that because the reason why this is the first time that they have traveled with alternates. Yeah, and the reason why they did is because of COVID. So the ironic thing is they needed the alternates for a different reason than COVID. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so that is the, I guess the funny part about the whole idea, you know, the, the idea of it. Now, John seemed to be a guy that uh, really was kind of calm and it w- took probably a lot of effort on your part to get him emotionally involved in the Walker cup. And I'm saying that with a straight face, even though I'm completely sarcastic as I'm saying that, because um, I, I don't know how many points exactly he contribute. I probably have it in my notes, but, uh, fist pumps. I think he was the club leader, uh, on, on campus. Uh, <laughs> Come on, dude. Are you serious? What, what am I wrong? I mean, were there fist pumps? Was there, I, I, I saw it. I saw him hit that shot into 18. I was right behind him when he did it and he was pumping himself up. I mean, this kid was on fire the entire way emotionally was that a challenge for you to kind of keep that contained or did you just let him go and just ride your horse and see where it took you? No challenge whatsoever. He was, he was cool as could be until the time came for him to let it out. <laughs> and, and he did it at the proper moments. You know, he was a, he was a gentleman when he needed to be. And he was excited when he also, I mean, listen, if, if you're one up in a match, in your first Walker cup match in a, in a partner match with a buddy of yours from your rival town. And you're both from like halfway across the world. And you're at a place like Seminole playing, you know, um, Quade Cummings and Austin Eckroat, you're one up and you have one swing to end the match. Basically, if you hit it close enough to give your guy a two putt, right. Right. And you've got one swing. All you need is the right club and a good thought. And you and you pull it off, dude. I tell you what, I don't care who you are. You better find somebody to fist pump. All right, yes. exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, because that is the moment of your life you've been waiting for for so long. And if you don't take advantage of it and show some joy and some excitement, well, then you know um, you're you're a pretty reserved player. But uh, he's passionate. His his partner Mark Power was just as passionate. And that kid, Mark Power, had some of the best speed putting I've ever seen as far as lag putts. Because, listen, John John Murphy couldn't hit a lot of shots close to the hole. 
just because of, you know of the, of the of the wind and everything. Right. So he he left Mark Power with you know thirty footers at least at least a dozen thirty footers over the two days of partner matches they played mornings on Saturday and Sunday, and the kid. Um, I don't think I saw them three putt once as a team, as far as Mark hitting the lag and then John draining it. I don't think I did once. That's, that's incredible. It was the king of Kinsale and the king of Kilkenny. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know what? Um, you mentioned Mark Power. I noticed that were sev- there were several instances where I would see players, obviously on the same team, whether it's GB&I or US, but players talking to their partner's caddy. And, oh, I got out of the way as much as possible. Okay, so that wasn't that wasn't your group, but I saw that previously. I was just curious if it was an all hands on deck, or did you, uh, you know, how was well, the relationships between other caddies? Listen, dude, when when those two play so much golf together, I could tell um, they knew how far they hit the ball with each other. They're about a half a club difference. Mark hits about a half a club longer than John does as far as the irons. So. When those guys get going as far as what club they should be hitting, you know, where the putts are doing, I know, well, I'm, I'm supposed to know when to get out of the way. And that is somewhat of the, the, the joys of being a decent caddy is knowing when to not say anything or when to let two guys that have been together for a long time as kids let them have it out because they know what's going on with each other. Why am I going to step in and act like I know what's going on when I just met the guy a week ago? Yeah. You know, exactly right. So it's, it's one of those things where if, if it's, it's not always what you say, it's what you don't say that's going to help them the most. One of the, yeah. One of the other um, narratives uh, obviously was the golf course itself was seminal. And my first day there was uh, Thursday. That was my first day when I arrived and I was all excited. I'm going to get some interviews. I'm going to get some photos. I'm going to walk with the guys. There's really nobody out there. It was not open up quite yet to spectators. And of course, that's the day that you guys receive between two and three inches of rain. And basically the entire day was rain out. I think a couple, we played a couple holes and I know the U.S. guys were able to chip and putt late, late in the afternoon before they went back uh, to to their hotel. Um, I know a lot of people watching on TV probably tuned in late Sunday, like, hey, the Walker Cup, final round, let's watch. Um, you know, and they're seeing, you know, balls trickle off greens. They're seeing wedge shots spin back 60 yards off the front of the green, wind blowing the ball everywhere. Um can you tell me, as someone that has a lot of experience at Seminole, what did that rain do? Was the rain necessary? What would the course be like if it didn't? If we didn't get that rain, as so, you know, I heard Azinger was saying, "Man, you know, they're getting close to losing the course, and it's it's on the edge, and you know, one of those kind of deals." What was the Seminole Golf Club conditions like for the Walker Cup compared to what you've seen it at? Well, first of all, the rain didn't do anything as far as harm the the condition of the course or the the effect of how the you know the event was going to go. Um, it was a uh, it was kind of a large spit as far as the superintendent would be concerned. Of, okay, you know, um, it kind of ran off pretty well. The course drains extremely well. You know, it's all sand bases. You know, so 
anything longer than than you know a couple hours might do some damage but it was fine um it just made the place a little bit softer for a couple of days but by saturday it was just as dry as it needed to be so anybody that was concerned about what the rain was going to do is pretty much barking up the wrong tree gotcha you know um i mean that i mean i'm i'm not sure i didn't hear what azinger said but well, he, he was he talking about Sunday. He was saying how Sunday it was really getting dry and baked out, and it was probably yeah. to the point that, you know, I don't think I don't think he said it was unplayable, but he was. I think I overheard comments of like, "Man, this is starting to get a little bit on the edge." Yeah, well, that tells me that the rain on Thursday, um, we probably needed it then. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but. Um, the new superintendent we got, we I guess like the one that we have now, his name is Nelson. He's uh God, he's good, man. He uh he he took that place to the limit and I've been caddying there for the last three days and everything is just fine. The grains are in good shape and um it was uh I just I couldn't believe some of the reads that came out that weekend because you know, the, the pins were in some of the places that we don't usually see them. And the greens are faster than we, we normally do see them. So uh, the idea of, you know, maybe it's a cup out. Normally, it might be a foot and a half to two feet. And you're you're cautious. So you're basically lagging seven footers. There's There's one of those feelings of, hey, guys, listen, if it goes in, great. But let's not get crazy here. Gotcha. Um, but you don't say that a whole lot for a lot of these reads that we had. But over the weekend, you know, some of this putts on 16 and 13, uh, you know, you really have to keep your eyes open because if you fall asleep for a second, you're you're in trouble. You spent a lot of time around the GB&I squad, especially around your guy, John Murphy, and around power. Um, but obviously, caddies talk, caddies tell stories. Um what were some of the things that you heard out of your, your caddy, uh, out of your fellow caddies on the GB&I squad, maybe about a player that you're going to keep an eye on for the next year or so, or um, someone that you did not know at all coming in and you're like, wow, I mean, this guy, even on the American side, I mean, your observations being that close, you know, who, who should we be looking at? Either someone that's going to make the team in two years in St. Andrews or someone that's going to be on, the PGA tour that like, yeah, that guy's, that guy's got it. Well, one of the funny things was all the GBI guys like the bust on Barclay Brown, because he's a smart kid on the group. He's, he's a 19 year old kid that goes to Stanford. So yeah, <laughs> they like to pick on him for being the smart guy, but he's got a really good golf swing. Um, he's, uh, I love the way he holds his follow through. It somewhat reminds me of Ian Poulter. Okay as far as like the end of it, you know, but, um, all those guys talked about the ball striking ability of Alex Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it was, I mean, I, I got to see it for one of the practice rounds up front and, um, it's no joke, man. It's no joke. I mean, uh, the one that probably hits it as good as him on the American side, I would say is Pearson Cootie. Yep. But, um, but uh, yeah, Fitzpatrick on the GBI side probably had the they had the buzz going. 
Well, well, the okay. You can tell a boring ball flay when you see it. That's like like impervious kind of thing, right? Like it cuts right through the wind. So if somebody has a cross breeze, you don't even give him any more number because it's going to beat through it anyway, right? Same, you know, same kind of thing. Gotcha. But uh, let's see. You had uh, I'll tell you what. Joe Pagden was one of the alternates. He plays for Florida. Yeah, and that kid is a stud okay and i mean it's funny if if you would have put any one of the alternates on the gbi side into one of the matches um they would have done just as well well one of them did get in so dyer did no get doubt in. Yeah, dyer did get in that's right oh jack dyer that kid yeah <laughs> he one of the uh one of the quotes and never being modest i think it was john murphy Oh, I'm sororry it's Bolton never mind I I am I'm incorrect. Jake, Jake uh, Bolton Bolton is the I'm sorry Dyer was an alternate he got bumped yeah. up when Sandy Scott came out but Dyer um, Dyer was in the the full 10 what are they coming after yeah. you Serge? what the hell's going on over there what did you steal <laughs> we have a fire station near my house and I have my garage open I'm sorry uh, no it's okay I'm gonna leave yeah. it and I just want I, I mean you're a scoundrel and I want people to know that it's it's with, with good hey, good cause. They're coming for me. I, I need help. I know. Um, yeah, so, so, so no, I did. Yeah, Dyer was, Bolton was the one that got in. Didn't Dyer beat those guys pretty bad in a match? Uh, him and, um, I forget who it was. I yeah, think it was yeah, Hagestad. Di- yeah, Dyer. Wasn't it Hagestad yeah, on the, like yeah, a Sunday morning or it something? It was Sunday morning. Lamb and, man, it's like you were there. Uh, Lamb and Dyer. <laughs> Lamb and Dyer beat Hagestad and Strafaci six and five. Oh, yuck. Really? <laughs> God. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, that must have really stung. I swear. I mean, it really must have stung. It's probably not fun. Um, there were not. I mean, I've never met. I've never met Tyler. I love Stewart, you know, but to be there for that, God, no, not good. Um, the other thing that I found uh, this is this the first time that you've been on TV, other than probably like an episode of Cops from way back in the day. I mean, is this the first time? <laughs> That you got a lot of tea because I I remember that you I mean one of the the poignant moments is you and Murphy and Sunday singles on seventeen T I mean you got the cameras oh, on you. talk to me about that he hole won- talk to me about that hole he he wanted to hit six irons so bad okay so this hole let's walk walk listeners through that maybe aren't familiar but seventeenth hole par three right on the ocean give me the number walk me through the whole thing we had one eighty seven and. This is my gig, all right? And let me know if I'm crazy, but use it when you want to when you go play the next time, okay? Okay. Um, only if the wind is directly into you does this matter, all right? If you can only feel the breeze, it's only worth 5 to 10 yards more than what the number shoots, okay? If you can hear it, it's worth 20 yards. Okay. All right? And... If it's more than a hear, you know, if you can hear it more than that, you know, if it's more than 20, so, you know, add a little more, but basically that's my little thing that I've been working on for a while. Right. And Bob Ford thought I was crazy okay. <laughs> when I first, when I, when I first told him, he was like, Oh my God, again, Serge, come on, really? So I'm like, no, man, it really works. Just try it out. Right. So, you know, we're working on it for a little bit. And so that's what I kind of lean on. Right. So we have 187. And the breeze was right at us out of the south. And it wasn't calming down. And 
the pin was, you know, obviously it was in, you know, toward the backside. So <laughs> nobody is going to hit a six iron into the breeze steady 205 yards. No. Okay. It's not feasible. It's not even worth working that hard is the thing about it. Okay. And the thing about it is, okay, he's hit the same shot. He had the same shot on 13, on 18, the day before when it was a morning match against uh, Quade Cummins and Austin Eckler. It was the same five iron that he hit on 18 um, the morning of Saturday, right? So my goal is to get him into a physical memory of what he did previously so he can just tap right into it. You know what I mean? So... I'm trying to get him to stick with the five iron. I pulled the bag away so I could make sure that he was left on an island with that club to be sure he didn't come back to get anything else. Nice. You, you hide, know what you I mean? Hide, you hide the like, like, love it. Okay. Yeah, like, like get away from the guy so he thinks, where's my caddy? Okay, I'm going to stick with this club, right? So anyway, he gets weirded out. He starts thinking. He comes back over to me. Now it's like, you know, it's like McLaughlin from, from the 80s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm doing my best to try to calm him down and let him know that it's a chip five. It's not a big six going to have too much juice on it. It's not worth working that hard right now. Right. Just, you know, do your due diligence and make a good move at it. And he did. And the thing about it is, is he didn't waver from the decision that we made, which means to me that he's going to be a great pro because if I put the five in his hand and he still wavered on it because he thought he should have the six, he would have hit a bad shot. Right. But he didn't. He committed to it because that's what we went with. And I think, you know, in the long term, you know, when you get older, you know, making those kind of decisions as a pro, you have to have that kind of confidence that what you have in your hand, you have to commit to. And he did. And he he hit one of the very few shots on the green yes, of the matches that day. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, okay. and, and he hit it left of the hole. Yes. Yeah. Which is like, who is this guy? Well, and the other thing that, you know? that I'm so impressed with with that is, is look, anytime you're watching golf on TV and you see what we saw, which was you and John up there really discussing it. And it's a vital oh. spot in the match, and it's back and forth, and you guys are really, really discussing it. Typically, at that point, after you see a caddy and a player go back and forth and back and forth, my thought process is we're probably not going to see a good shot here. They're thinking about it too much, and I don't care yeah. who it is. It could be John Murphy. It could be John Daly. I don't care who it is. Um, we're not, we're not expecting a good outcome. We're expecting whatever club you go with, there can't be a ton of conviction behind it. I'm guessing a lot of that is, as you say, you're giving your player credit, which is what a good caddy does, but I'm also guessing the amount of trust that he has in you that you've built up during the entire week had a big thing to do or a big reason that that shot came off. Well, well, this is when you say, thank you. You're right, Ben. You, you, thank you. You're. Uh, I wouldn't say you're right, but he, his level of trust, yes, does come from the entire weekend of you know little little successes yeah. one at a time. Yeah, happen. yeah, you're stockpiling it. So, so in that case, yes, he did trust me a whole lot. But I got to tell you, 
I'm not sure who was more nervous, him or me. <laughs> all right. All right. I may have, I may have looked like I was, you know, you look good. Solid and stoic. And, you know, like, you look good. Well, the on thing TV. was, 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 all right, here's a gig, right? Um, I know that my level of conviction has to be at its highest point. Oh, yeah. At that moment for, for him. Oh, yeah. Because, if I look like I'm a little bit wavering on what I'm talking about, that's going to easily bleed into his mind. And that's not a good recipe. So I need to be as, as strong as I can, no matter the situation, because, um, he deserves that. So what you're saying, Serge, is that's not the time where you go like, man, I got no idea. Good luck. That's not, you don't do that. Right. That's bad. No, that's, I would not recommend that. It's especially, especially if you want to come back the next day and actually have a job. There, you, know there you go. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be a bad. So, move. but, but the thing is, honestly, honestly, um, I had seen the kind of ball flight that had come out of him the last three days. Yeah. And no matter what was going to happen, um, I was going to wrestle that six iron out of his hand. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in, in front of, in front of 200 people on site and maybe, you know, 20 million people or 2 million people on TV, it was going to happen. It was funny right before we got <laughs> right before we started recording this, I was watching Tin cup and I, 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 Tin cup of course is on TV. And uh, yeah, I saw the part where Romeo snapped his gloves during the U.S. Open local and all that stuff. Yeah. And I, was like, I was like, "This is perfect." I, I'm I'm talking to Serge, and I'm, I'm getting warmed up here by watching Rums. This is great. Well, my my mom called me. She said, "Serge, I loved seeing you on TV, but oh. what was up with that hat you were wearing?" Oh, the hat! Hey, that was yeah. You got the <laughs> the Seminole sombrero. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. Oh well, the thing was, it kept popping up in the wind i don't know it didn't matter it was fun dude it was one of the it was one of the neatest weeks of my life um golf or not you know um i i think i want to thank mr dunn and mr mike davis for talking you know having that conversation um i don't know how many years ago they did but it was kind of a fleeting conversation that that erupted into this you know so yeah those two those two deserve um more uh more of the credit than, than people are talking about. So that's for sure. One of the uh, really cool, uh, one of the really cool experiences that I had at the Walker cup was on Sunday on mother's day. And I, uh, I brought my mom out and for anyone that follows. The yeah. Family, how cool is that to bring uh, your mom out on mother's oh day my God. to watch your work? Right. Uh, well, uh, that kind of leads me to bring my, your mom to work day. Right. I, well, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> she was a, I mean, for people that follow this podcast on Instagram and if you don't, then you got to fix that. It's at the back of the range podcast. But yeah, there's a picture of her with the Walker Cup at the end of the night, and pictures of her with you know Jason Gore, and she, you know, she met. I'm like, Mom, this is Jimmy Dunn. Hi, hi oh hi, nice to meet. I mean, it was. It oh, was how the, are you? How are you? I, I swear <laughs> to God, I was like, what is happening right now? Um, but you had uh, you had Leslie, you had your girlfriend there watching you. I think oh, I think work for the first time. Um, and her daughter. And, and her daughter. And her daughter Mimi came on Sunday and. Um, she was upset. Mimi was upset because when we're walking back with, with the golf bag back to the place, Mimi goes, I'm, I'm upset. I'm like, why babe? She goes, I want more golf. I want to see some more golf. And I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. That's crazy. So, so, you know, being able to, to be on that stage in front of, uh, you know, in front of people that you really care a lot about, 
I, I'm guessing that added to it as well because just I mean for me it was incre- it was an incredible experience just to kind of show people you know show my mother the world I'm in right now and the people I'm I'm with. I'm guessing you had the same experience. Dude, Leslie had never seen me work before. She's only, I took her onto the golf course last summer, you know, kind of a little quick peruse. Yeah. Um, while the course is closed, you know, kind of walk up the hill and then back down, you know, but nothing really, you know, significant as far as watching any golf going on. Right. So when she had a chance to watch me work on Saturday and Sunday, she, she understood um, my passion for the place. First of all, she already knew my passion for the game, but she'd only heard about Seminole and she knows a bunch of other caddies that, you know, we're all very close friends with, but for her to come actually see it happen in that type of a setting was crazy. <laughs> was a little bit of a, of a, um, uh, I don't know. She saw the the peak of my my caddy career the first time she saw me ever caddy. So I hope she doesn't watch me, you know, like work at some, you know, some Monday outing in a couple of years or whatever. You right. Know, some right. different. Yeah, that, that's going to be pale in comparison. <laughs> well, like, what is this? Sorry. There's, well, there's no Monday outing to Seminole, but you know what I'm talking I about. I know. Yeah, you can't. Um, yeah, she's not going to come watch you Monday, caddy at a Monday qualifier to, at like a Corn Ferry Tour event. She's going to be like, I, no, what the hell is this? All. Not at all. Not at all. But uh, so listen to this, man. Her and I are going to Ireland July 12 through 23. Uh-huh. And um, we're going to be flying into and out of Dublin. And we're going to be, you know, making our way down south and, you know, getting over towards the coast. And I talked to John Murphy and he said to me that, that uh, we're going to meet up an old head and maybe play some golf. No way. He said, he, he said he might even caddy for me. You know, I'm like, dude, you're not going to caddy for me at old head. Are you crazy? There's gotta so, be at least a picture though, that needs to be taken of him holding your golf bag. That has to happen though. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring the flag bag with me. Actually, you know what? I might do that. I've got a flag bag. Okay. So the membership of Seminole um, did a really nice thing for us caddies. And as a thank you gift, we had a painting done for them. And the guy that did the painting is a guy named Joshua Smith from Northern California. He's a superintendent at the Arenda Golf Club. And he also does the flag bags. That Did you see those things, the flag bag at the, uh, at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am? I did. And I, know okay. that, and I know you have one. And there's actually one in the pro shop at Seminole. Exactly. So Josh and his brother, Matt, are the two who designed the flag bags and have a contract with, uh, I guess, no, the McDonald bag company. And um, they do this thing. So they made one for me. And it's really, really cool looking. You got to bring that to Ireland. I think I'm going to have to. That's going to be a fun trip. Yeah, you got to go uh, play old head. And uh, yeah, that's awesome that you're reconnecting with Murphy. That's awesome, man. Oh, I can't believe that. And he's, he's, uh, he's such a good kid. I can't wait to meet his parents. If I have a chance to, that was one of the real you know? bummers about the GB and I squad. Nope. Oh, I their know, man. That's gotta be brutal. You know what though? I saw there was a lot of people that were from the towns that these kids were from that said hi from their neighbors and their, and their relatives. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw a bunch of that going on. 
the entire spirit of the GBI team was enviable. Those guys really, really loved being a part of the event, you know. Is there anything that you can share maybe that you've heard within maybe the differences amongst both teams, maybe something poignant that the average spectator, average viewer did not realize while they were watching the Walker Cup? I don't know how poignant it's going to be, but but I do know that 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 Coach Crosby said that he has eight of the ten players play a cut, and he prayed to God that none of the matches got to the seventeenth and eighteenth hole. <laughs> really? Okay. And, and I do. And and the thing is, I don't know if you want to even have that out there, but but um, you know, could you imagine? having eight of your 10 players that play a cut and you know that all your East breeze comes off the East and you got to, you know, your, your, your matches get to 17 and you've got to deal with, you know, three quarters of your guys, 80% of your guys that play a cut on 17. So, so basically what you're saying, just so I can kind of illustrate for people listening, the 17th and 18th hole, basically running a straight line right down the coast from North to South. So, what you're saying is these guys that all play a cut, they got to try and somehow basically start their tee balls on 17 and 18, basically over the just the ridge and bunkers and basically trouble and pray to God it doesn't cut too much or pray to God that it actually does cut. So they just did not have shot shapes to play those holes properly is kind of what you're saying. They have to make themselves uncomfortable with a line to choose right. because they're, because they, they either have to pull the ball back to their target if they aim right, right or draw it. And they're not, and neither one of them, neither one of them are they comfortable with. Right. So what are they going to do? They're going to aim eh, a little bit left. They're not going to aim too far left because then that becomes goofy. Right. You know? So it, uh, it's a big conundrum for anybody that plays even, even a straight ball because of the 18 greens at Seminole, the 17th green is probably the most difficult because the right half of it is somewhat more sloped down towards the bunkers and you have to really have to stay away from it. And so they, they can't put a pin there and you really can't hold anything there is what you're saying. No, you can't put a pin there and you shouldn't even look over there because if you do, if you do, your ball is probably going to end up over there. So just don't, you know, take one good last look and just forget about it. So I'll get you out of here on, uh, on this thing. You've been great. You're always fantastic. Whenever we talk, um, some of this, we might actually be able to use in the episode. You never know, but, uh, oh, dude, I, <laughs> I, I hope my, I hope my weird tangents haven't gone too no, far. No, no, you're solid, dude. You know that, um, <laughs> tell, I was going to finish up on, on something just kind of like, uh, you know, you've reached, you've kind of reached the top of, of, you know, this is the pinnacle of your caddy career, what you just said. Um, you know, obviously this is, you know, this is a job for you, this, you, you're Pine Valley, you're at Seminole, but what is something maybe that not to top this, but what's maybe something you'd like to do professionally. And now that you've got this taste of this stage, um, what is something you'd like to do moving forward? What's next on your list? Dude, I'm a huge golf nerd, and um, I was raised by 20 grandfathers at a muni course in Baltimore City, so I know how much 
information I received from them on the course, on the course while I played. And that's where I learned the most. So if I was to do anything, um, it would to be either become an on-course teacher only or start some sort of an only on-course instruction place where you didn't just stand there and, and teach somebody how to swing a club on a mat because right. that's somewhat, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's purely mechanical. Yeah. That's golf. Swing. It's not golf. No, it's not golf. It's not at all. And, and you need to spend time with the people on the course and talk to them about their decisions about, about, you know, different lies they have, you know, it's the education is, is much further than just the swing. And, you know, how many times have you heard about teachers teaching a seven iron chip from 50 yards? Tell me the last time you heard about that. Nope. Don't hear that at all. You never, do you know, when's the last time you heard a teacher instructing a, a bunker shot with a 50 degree wedge from 40 yards away? When's the last time, when you you, heard, when's the last time you heard an instructor teaching course management? Well, they don't have a chance to because right. they're too locked up because they're too locked up on the tee. That's what I'm talking about, man. All right. So if you listen, I'm a huge golf nerd. I'm a huge golf advocate. I, you know, I, I spread my love of the game through my, my, my cattiness, if you want to call it that, you yeah. know what I mean? But, um, I love the game way too much to get away from where I am right now. The golf IQ at the two places that I work is what keeps me there. And if I had a chance to, you know, educate people on the level that I wanted to, as far as, you know, on course stuff, then I would, but I'm not really running after that right now. I'm, um, I'm so happy to be able to spend time with the people that love the game. Like I do that are members at Pine Valley and Seminole. So, you know, if that time ever comes and if I want to want to break out, then I will. But, um, you know, I'm not being complacent, but uh, I love what I do and I love who I'm around. So why would I change? You know, that's so well said. And you've, I mean, shared your knowledge, obviously, with, uh, like you said, all the members at Pine Valley, all the members at Seminole. And, and in this case, you got to share it with some of the best players uh from Great Britain and Ireland, I know that they are indebted to you. I know, uh, I know, I know you have an adopted nephew from a kid sale now. Uh, you and you and Murphy, um, dude, it was a it was a blessing and an honor to be a part of the event, man, yeah. and and a part of their lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing this again. Uh, I can't wait to see you again. And um, again, I really appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. All the best, man. Dude, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're uh, you're. You're growing uh, more than you know, so I love seeing it. Thanks, man. And there you have it. Special thanks to Serge Hogue for joining me on this episode of The Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The website where you can find every single episode, where you can buy merch, where you can send me an email. Everything can be found at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.